Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. A little bit later, recording than normal. Uh, actually, my wife is having surgery today, and so I had to get her settled and everything. And so I wanted to make use of this time uh, because I don't know how much more I'm going to be able to get done today to kind of attend to some family stuff. And so I know you guys understand, but I didn't want to not record the show. I thought about recording it yesterday, but uh, you know how it is. I mean, you know, you get busy and, and the day kind of gets away from you. And I just felt like last night that my time would better be served being with my family rather than recording the show. So here we are. 
So you got a show today, and uh, it's a good one. I've gotten some uh, information for you guys about a couple topics that I think that you're uh, rather interested in. And if you're not, I think that I can make you interested in because I've got a better understanding of how a lot of this name, image, and likeness stuff is going to work. feel a whole lot better about it after talking to one of the experts yesterday. It's important sometimes, you know, because there's so many people that report things, and it's just based on their opinion or their interpretation. I don't begrudge anybody that, but uh, I'm the first to admit there are some topics that I am not well-versed in, and so I try to get to people who are to try to get a better understanding of what's going to take place, not just from my own curiosity, but so I can share with you guys, because there is a lot of concern about this name, image, and likeness, and, you know, what's it going to look like, and how's it going to be legislated, and how's power players going to be protected, and there's a lot to it. And it sounds a little bit boring, I guess, on its face to many people. But after I explain this to you today, I think you're going to feel like, you know, in, in some respects, this could be a good thing for Mississippi State. And I don't think it's a great thing in every sport. But I think in a few sports, I think it's, uh, it's very much a difference maker for us. And, and uh, I think there is a pretty good, uh, you know, opportunity there, you know, for us to really expand, uh, you know, some of our equivalency sports. And as you guys know, headcount sports are full scholarship sports and equivalency sports or uh, partial scholarship grants. And so, you know, baseball and softball is a big part of that. So I'm going to share with you what I learned, and then I'm going to have an article next week about a lot of this and uh, hopefully have some numbers and some more concrete facts. Today I'm going to kind of give you an overview about what I've learned. And, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more encouraged because I, I've been against this thing for a long time. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if we're for or against it now. It's here. And so we have to adapt, and there are people involved now to have to make sure that uh, Mississippi State student-athletes are being protected, but also, too, they need to have quality representation to ensure that they, you know, get the most money that they can in the most protected way possible because you don't want to see any of the student-athletes get exploited. And to be fair with you guys, that's already happened. That's, it's already happening now. You know, think about how you were at 19, 20 years of age – Somebody said, "Hey, listen. Here's the deal. You know, we're gonna put uh, we're gonna we're gonna put your name on this. Or hey, well, you know, we'll give you you know 100 bucks or 200 bucks and make a couple posts for us on social media, some social media engagement, and then they reaped a bigger part of the of the proceeds. You know, and so a lot of that's already happening. And some of that is business in the world, but there are a lot of these young people that have never had to make these decisions. And it's like, oh, hey, I could use a couple hundred extra bucks bucks a month when with proper representation." They could probably get much more than that, probably get a much better deal. But it's kind of the wild, wild west right now. But there is going to be a correction in many respects on how this all breaks down. And so I think it's good you know, to have a plan. And I think there are some very smart people that are working right now to kind of put some things together to ensure, that, number one, that everything is above board, that your student athletes are going to be protected, but also too well compensated. And number three, that they're going to make sure that uh, you know the branding on all this stuff is uh, is long lasting. You know, it's not as simple as simple as uh, you know, hey, uh, send this ad out for detox tea on Instagram or whatever. You know, that kind of silliness. You know, these are going to be real opportunities. They're going to be mutually beneficial, and I think that's the the, the one thing you look at to make sure that it's fair, and it's not necessarily you know maybe the um, 
you know, the back end of a, you know, an inducement as part of a recruiting pitch on the negative side is it's got to be mutually beneficial to both sides. Everybody's got to get something out of the deal. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah, by and large. And, of course, there's going to be exceptions. I mean, you can make all the rules you want. I mean, cheaters are going to cheat. That's what they do. That's what makes them cheaters. You know, the rules only apply to the law abiding. Speaking of that sort of thing, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but have you, have you guys kept up with some of the, the, the NCAA stuff that's kind of going on around the country? And it's always nice when it's not us, you know, but when it's not somebody maybe, you know, within our conference, sometimes you kind of lose track of that. This Arizona State stuff is just mind-blowing to me. Have you heard about this? And I like Herm Edwards a lot. A lot of people thought it was a joke when they hired him, and he's done a pretty good job so far. But, um, you know, we find out now that during a global pandemic, some of the assistant coaches were basically paying for players to visit their campus during the dead period. That's pretty serious stuff. And the optics on it are even worse. You know, this isn't the typical you know, uh, illegal inducement type deal. This is, you know, there's like, number one, there's coaches involved, at least one. There is a, you know, staff member on the on the field coaching staff that is part of these allegations. And so that's bad in and of itself. And then when you add in the fact that everybody around the country was all kind of abiding by the same agreement, you know, the dead period, that hey, nobody's going to be able to host prospects and then – there's a coach involved in these allegations, basically, that funded it. That's pretty serious stuff. And I think when you look at it, with all, with all we've gone through in the last year and a half, it makes it even worse. It'd be one thing if it was just, hey, it'd be bad enough. It's like, hey, you know, this kid could make it to campus, and this coach gave the family some, you know, some meal money or whatever and gas money to offset some of the expenditures. And you can almost say, well, you know, yeah, it's bad, but probably happens everywhere but when it happens in the middle of a global pandemic you're in the middle of a dead period i mean you know there's some amplifiers to that whole thing it's pretty crazy yeah and another thing too the tennessee thing is awfully quiet isn't it they've done a good job it's one thing that i'll say you know we work with mike nemo i love nemo to death man i really do and nemo and i have talked about this before about you know mistakes that schools make when they're in trouble you know, and, and Ole Miss could probably be the test case for, you know, not knowing when to be quiet during all that. You know, Mike said, you know what, at Mississippi State, when he was in charge of media relations, we would make one statement and one statement only. Yes, we are aware of this. We will have no further comment. And then we would have no further comment. Tennessee has kind of adopted that same philosophy. You just don't hear people talking about it. You know, there's, there's talk about, you know, obviously there's some – very serious allegations that led to Jeremy Pruitt and his staff being terminated. And there were some staff members involved in some of those allegations as well. And many of these uh, violations occurred with full knowledge of the coaching staff. It's going to be a pretty serious thing. But, man, it's gone away. You know, we hear about the LSU stuff because there's so much of that. You know, there's always something that bubbles over, you know, because you've got the Department of Education uh, investigation you've got the title nine investigation then you've got the ncaa investigation largely into men's basketball there are some football allegations but it's largely about men's basketball and I, I still believe to this day the reason the ncaa did not agree to split the two cases because basically what's been alleged about football doesn't appear to be very serious as far as the ncaa bylaws go but you keep those cases married together, which then kind of validates the case for a lack of institutional control. 
And a lot of people have said, well, you know, well, Wade's still there. Yeah, I agree, and I think OSU has probably hurt themselves with that. And if memory serves me correct, when they reinstated Will Wade, they renegotiated his uh, buyout or renegotiated his contract. And part of the contract, you know, says basically, if I, again, if I'm paraphrasing from memory here, is that if he is found, if he is charged with an NCAA violation, it's found to be a finding of fact that they get to walk away debt free. I believe that's correct. I know there's at least a reduction in the buyout. I think it might even be 100%. But so there was, uh, you know, when LSU reinstated him, it wasn't just them, you know, you know, thumbing their nose at the NCAA. They took some steps to kind of protect themselves. But we'll see how things progress. But, you know, we hear about that stuff all the time. We don't hear about Tennessee. We just don't. And I would submit to you that the allegations in football at Tennessee are a you know, Mount Everest to a molehill compared to what's being alleged at LSU football. And, again, the LSU basketball stuff's well documented. And, and I know everybody's like, oh, you know, it's just Steve. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah, something's going to happen. They're too invested in this. It may not be what they deserve. And, and this NCAA thing is ridiculously long now. You want to talk about reform? Something that needs to be reformed and not just in a window-dressing way? It's NCAA enforcement staff. That's got to change, man. It should, these things shouldn't drag out that long. You know, my honest opinion is, and I know everybody wants to get their misery all at once, I think what you do is when there are items that everybody kind of agrees to, go ahead and get that decision and kind of move forward. And if, you, if this penalty matrix thing is real, and we know that it, there is some ambiguity to it because of what happened to Ole Miss, because Ole Miss probably should have been hit with uh, you know, twice as many scholarship reductions. But, you know, when you get some things that maybe both sides can agree upon, let's just go ahead and get that behind you. And if something else comes up later in the process, then, yeah, you go ahead and you handle that too. You know, but there needs to be – it's kind of like, okay, listen, I'm driving down I-55, right, and I'm doing, you know, 80 and a 70. They pull me over. Okay, well, here's here's the ticket. Here's the penalty for this offense. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pay that. You know, and in some states, you can pay on the spot. And so I think the NCAA should adopt something similar. When something like this happens, there should be, you know, and, and again, there are some rogue programs out there, obviously, that are you know, going to cheat no matter what you do. But I, I think in the interest of, of justice and, and not believing that everybody is, you know, completely a rogue program, there's got to be, you know, more of this cafeteria-style punishment. I, I, I just think that's the only thing that makes any sense especially when there's, you know, when the facts are agreed upon by both parties. I mean, let's be honest, like this Tennessee thing, I'm sure the NCAA thought when Tennessee self-reported all this, wait a minute here. If they're, if they're self-reporting this, what else is there? we got to get in here and kind of confirm and verify what they're reporting. But if they're kind of throwing themselves on the mercy of the court for those things, you know, I think that, you know, that, that should expedite this thing considerably. Yeah, we, the Ole Miss thing was completely different because, you know, they were already investigating some things that happened, you know, towards the end of the Houston Nut era. You know, you had the, the Ed Center stuff. You had, um, you know, a few other things, I guess, that uh, kind of bled their way over. You had the ACT issues and that sort of stuff. So there was already like an ongoing investigation. And then all this other stuff popped up under Hugh Freeze. And so, you know, you, you end up joining those cases together. And it's like people join, used to joke and say, you know, the reason they can't get the Ole Miss case over is they, they keep finding stuff. 
Yeah, well, not every case is like that one. I mean, it just you know, it's, that one's you know, pretty atypical. But when you've got these other issues out there, I think you, you can have some uniformity. And that was what I thought the penalty matrix was supposed to establish. But yet here we are, and I know everybody's like, well, you know, they're, they're shorthanded. Figure it out, man. I mean, just figure it out. I mean, and to be fair, think about these players at LSU. You know, they're, they're still kind of hanging under that cloud, not knowing from one year to the next. I mean, people forget LSU football took a bowl ban last year. They did. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, 10, 10 win year or, excuse me, 10 game season. They went ahead and took the bowl ban. I mean, so obviously that they do probably have some things on the football side that we're not privy to. But the fact that they would go ahead and take a bowl ban shows they're trying to be proactive and move this thing forward. Do they get a second year bowl ban? You know, Ole Miss did. Even after all their experts said they wouldn't. We spent an awful lot of time talking about this today. But uh, I, I just I think those things are very fascinating to me. You know, the things that, uh, that people do. And, I, and over the years I, of my career, I guess now, I've probably read maybe, I don't know, 50 or 60 of these case files looking for information. And I find it so fascinating, the things that people do to try to gain a competitive advantage and things that don't really matter. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, it matters to them as a coach, obviously. But it's like, I mean, I read, some, I read something a while back, you know, when I was writing Flim Flam about uh, there was an NCAA case involving swimming. I'm thinking to myself, who's, who's cheating and swimming? You kidding me? I mean, there's no revenue involved. There's no branding involved. You know, it's just but the things that people do to kind of cut corners. Real, I, I'll touch on this before we, before we move on. We've got a lot to discuss today. I watched Titletown USA. You guys have seen this thing on Netflix. It's about um, Valdosta High School over in Georgia, former national power, Valdosta. You know, Rush Probst was there, formerly at Hoover, and, and uh, he's been a few other places. He was at Colca County, Georgia. Guy wins a lot of football games, but um, controversy seems to follow him, you know. And, you know, in the end, that, that they had the guy, the, uh, the football booster club president was recording him, and, of course, he puts the stuff out there, and, you know, about this coach does this and this coach does that or whatever. But even in high school, even in high school, at a place like Valdosta that's got, you know, 20-something titles, I think that's right, that he's out there trying to buy players in high school. And that's what you begin to think to yourself. You know, it's like, how many of these great coaches out there are really not so great? Maybe they're not really great coaches. Maybe they're just great manipulators of the system. Right? Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company for sponsoring the show, man. Get in there and support those people. And it's not just doing them a favor. You're doing yourself a favor. We talked about things being mutually beneficial. When you go to Bulldog Burger Company, you come out on the better end of that stick, okay? Go by and check them out today. Have the Pimentology ad bacon. It's a trip to me that so many people will message me after they finally try it. Like, hey, Steve, you're right. I'm not joking. I wouldn't tell you that it's good if it's not. I know we all have different tastes, but the pimentology add bacon, man, it'll put some hair on your chest, man. That's a great hamburger. Go by and check it out. Have the spring rolls for the appetizer. Maybe get that chocolate shake to go. Maybe it's a cheat day for you. Get your money's worth. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeland. That's the baby, the brand new one. Ian Few doing great work down there. Go check them out. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. 
All right, let's get into this name, image, and likeness thing. I think it's important because, again, even though I have read so much about this, there was a lot I didn't know. And so I was able to talk to somebody yesterday that is very involved in this process that kind of explained to me kind of step by step, you know, kind of what needs to happen. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining what name, image, and likeness is. By now you know college athletes can now profit on their own name, image, and likeness. It means that they can sell pictures of themselves, be involved in merchandising. They can get out and do appearances and be paid for them. Where in years past they weren't able to do that. And a lot of people worry it's opening up a Pandora's box. And in some respects it is and has. I'll give you a good example. As soon as it was open, a lot of these t-shirt companies reached out and said, hey, we want you to do this, we want you to do that. And so they dealt directly with the kids themselves. Themselves. And uh, there are a couple guys out there, I'm not going to tell you who, one of them's not even connected to Mississippi State, got involved in a little t-shirt thing, uh, I think made two or three bucks a shirt. Guys, I saw, I've sold thousands of t-shirts. And if I could only make a couple bucks a shirt, I'd be a fool. I'm going to all that trouble, right? And so basically what you had here is a company exploiting the fame of a student athlete so it's like hey we can make this shirt and i don't know if you guys know i mean you can get you can get a decent t-shirt printed you know screened and everything a good quality shirt you know for about six bucks and you're selling them for 20 okay where's 14 bucks there then all of a sudden the student athletes only getting two or three bucks for it the most how is that fair you're using their image their name to sell your product to sell your Gildan or your, uh, you know, what is it, cross-color shirt or whatever? I mean, that's, you know. And then you're, prob- you're, you're, you're not even an equal partner with them. And so that's why it's important for the student-athletes to have representation. And so I spoke to somebody yesterday that's involved in that, that part of the business and said, hey, here's the deal. So when they sign, that gives the agent – or the representative, you know, the exclusive rights to represent that student athlete in these deals. And so, you know, because you got to think about this. I mean, like, you know, if you're a student athlete, it's hard enough as it is just to make it through the day. You got class, you got practice, you got mandatory study halls, you got a social life, you got to go home, write papers. And then in the middle of all that, you got these other people providing you with opportunities. And not all of them. I mean, not all student athletes are getting solicited like that. And that's another thing, too, about having representation is they can go out and kind of, you know, solicit these opportunities for you. But by having this representation, let's just say, for an example, you know, Ian Robertson, who is my youngest son. Let's say Ian Robertson gets an opportunity, you know, from some company. So rather than him having to try to broker a deal that will be tilted in the company's favor – tremendously he'll say hey Gary let me get your contact information let me pass along uh, to my representation well then at that point you know your rep negotiates the deal and obviously it tells that company you're not going to be able to take advantage of our client here you're going to have to give him fair market value and that's a difficult thing to really establish right now you know because you know that's what people don't know what is the fair market value for a college student athlete varying in, on sports in certain parts of the country. I mean, a baseball player in the state of Mississippi, from Mississippi State and Ole Miss, especially a frontline guy, 
you know, frontline guy from State of Ole Miss in baseball, going to be very, very, very marketable. You know, your backup catcher on a softball team, not. Not going to be very marketable. Backup point guard on the men's basketball team, not going to be marketable. So the value is going to be much different. And so the best thing to do is to ensure you've got somebody that understands your value as a marketable commodity. And so they remove that process from the hands of the student-athlete. And so then they negotiate the deal. And then the student-athlete can say yes or no. Yes, this is a good deal for me. No, it's not. I would say more time than not, they're going to say yes. And there may be some products out there that are interested in marketing or whatever, or maybe opportunities they don't want to pursue. But by and large, you're going to be a lot of yeses. Now, the next part of that is every one of these deals has to be reported to compliance. I believe it's monthly. So it, that is to kind of curtail these opportunities that, you know, shall we say, may be a bit unscrupulous. If you got to report them, you know, because it, it becomes an eligibility issue at that point, too. It's like, yeah, I've got the ability to profit from my name, image, and likeness, but I still have to kind of protect my amateur status in order to be eligible to play in the NCAA. And so think about how many of your student-athletes, I mean, if, if you were a parent of a college student, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's difficult to get them to do anything living a college life. I mean, how many times do you find out, oh, I forgot to turn in a paper, or I'm late doing this, or I got a makeup exam or something like that. There's always something. And I got, I got two girls that are, on, you, know, you know, on the dean's list, you know, and, but there's always something. College life's very busy. And so how many of your student athletes do you think are going to remember to send that report in? Say, hey, listen, guys, uh, I got an opportunity, you know, to deal with, uh, you know, Bulldog Burger Company. And I need to report it. Well, if you don't report it, then all of a sudden there's an issue. And so because of this representation thing, because of the fact that this, this new company is marketing your name, image, and likeness, they'll handle the reporting for you. So now all of a sudden you begin to think about benefits for the student athletes. And they call it, you know, efficiencies. So now you don't have to negotiate the deal. You don't have to deal with all of the you know, the paperwork and that sort of stuff, and then, you know, having to do these monthly compliance uh, situations. Okay, so what student-athletes can do is they can be involved in merchandising, you know, so T-shirts, obviously, and with proper licensing, they may be able to do some jerseys. There could be some team functions. Like, if you get everybody on one team to sign with the same agency, well, then they could all benefit. Let's just say, hey, we're all going to, you know, go sign a bunch of jerseys or we're going to sign a bunch of baseballs or we're going to sign a bunch of posters. And then you can turn around and sell those posters and then everybody splits the profits. That's a fair and equitable way to do it. And it also ensures that everybody gets something. And that's a big part of this thing too. And we talk about what does name, image, and likeness mean in the locker room? That's a big concern, right? Because what if, you know, let's just like, Let's look at last year's baseball team. And that's not – I'm not in any way going to say anything to besmirch anybody's character or anything like that. But let's just say for an example, you know, T.A. and Rowdy, obviously, the leaders of the team. Will Bednar, one of the leaders of the team. Those guys are pro prospects. Those guys are Mississippi State legends. Well, they're going to command a much higher asking price when it comes to appearances, when it comes to merchandising, I mean, let's be honest, their signatures are probably worth a little bit more 
than some other players on the roster. And so if you have those guys out there marketing themselves and making money, and you've got other guys on the team that maybe don't have that kind of representation or the same type of opportunities, there could be some resentment in your locker room. So if you have this deal in place where everybody's with the same agency, you're insured that everybody's going to get something. Now, the star players are going to get more, and everybody understands that. Everybody knows that. Not everybody gets the same amount of playing time. But if everybody can sign a poster or everybody can sign a baseball or everybody can sign a jersey, then all of a sudden, what's that worth? Well, now all of a sudden, what if I can put you know, $10,000 a year in the pocket of every baseball player? Well, that's substantial. If everybody's got a baseline of 10 and then your stars have other opportunities, make more, it's going to remove a lot of that concern. There still may be a little bit of jealousy. I mean, that's life, though. But as long as everybody is getting something, everybody feels like, you know what, my needs being met, I've got some spending money, I can live a good life here, um, I can get a head start in life. I also won't have to graduate with a bunch of student loans to have to pay. Because you remember when Ethan Small uh, was drafted by the Brewers in the first round? The very first check he wrote with a signing bonus was to pay off all of his student loans. And so if you can eliminate that, you need to. And one th- Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. No break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store. 
Have a complimentary beverage or two. Shop the new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Things that I've learned, too, talking to some other people in uh, college baseball circles is that our friend Tim Corbin, not really in favor of name, image, and likeness because of schools like us. Because now, all of a sudden, we're going to be able to kind of narrow the gap a little bit between what they've been doing. They've been, you know, they've been exploiting the NCAA loophole. And, and again, there's nothing illegal about what they're doing. You can argue it's, it's unethical. That's fine. I don't like it at all. But they're only doing what the NCAA allows them to do. So now the NCAA is basically allowing other student athletes to kind of make up some of that shortfall with scholarship money by marketing themselves as student athletes. So now when, let's say for an example, that uh, you know, a, a player is looking at you know, Mississippi State, and you say, you know what, here, well, when I go on my visit, all of a sudden, you know, Rowdy Jordan's my host, and say, what about name, image, and likeness with you guys? And say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how it worked for you, but you know, here's what it worked for me. It makes perfect sense to me. Now, of course, the school itself cannot attach name, image, and likeness to a recruiting pitch. Now, they can put them in contact. Hey, here's a guy that, that's worked with our student athletes and had some success and find out what he's got to say. But there is now this – there's a vehicle that allows schools like Mississippi State to kind of make up the differential. So now you don't have to worry as much about the Hope Scholarship in Georgia. Not that Georgia's done much with that. Or the Tops out in Louisiana – it's a different day and time now. Wim Sanderson, I didn't hear this directly, but a friend of mine listens to jocks all the time. And he made a great point. He goes, you know, I don't think name, image, and likeness is going to change a lot in football because the haves are still going to have and the have-nots are still going to not. Makes perfect sense. Full scholarship sports still follow full scholarship sports. Now, does it may make a difference in some rare occasions, but by and large, I don't think you're going to see a main difference and how recruiting is done due to name, image, and likeness when it comes to full count, full head count sports. I may be wrong in that. I think where you see it is a place like Mississippi State and potentially Ole Miss where you do have marketable athletes on the baseball, and in their case, really the softball side too, and you can make up some of these shortfalls and scholarships. Now all of a sudden, okay, I could go to Vanderbilt for 100%, or I could go to Mississippi State for 100%. Well, I think I'm going to go to Mississippi State. I mean, there, there are a lot of things with this Vanderbilt need-based aid thing that is very difficult you know, to kind of comprehend. You know, if you've got a guy, and the, and the parameters change annually, you know, as far as the income threshold goes. You know, but if you've got a guy, he doesn't necessarily have to be impoverished, but, you know, it, you know, lower middle class. You know, if you're not in the middle class, you're eligible for a lot of this need-based aid. And so – there's no academic component tied to it. So, okay, as long as I can get into school and my parents don't make X number of dollars, I can get a 100% scholarship to Vanderbilt and they'll pay for it in their endowment. 
And people would say, well, Steve, why can't we do it with ours? Well, last I checked, Vanderbilt's endowment's like $10 billion, or maybe it's a billion. Anyway, it's a ton of money. Mississippi State's endowment's like $520 million. But it's improved a lot under Mark Keenum because he's, uh, he's made it more of a priority. We just don't have the resources Vanderbilt does. And that's always the argument. People say, well, why, you know, why don't you guys do it? Well, we can't. We don't have the resources. But with name, image, and likeness, now all of a sudden we can begin to kind of you know, bridge that gap a little bit. And so you've got merchandising, and then you've got the team concepts, and then, of course, you've got appearances. Let's say, you know, hey, we're going to open a car dealership there in, uh, you know, in Wiggins. I know you folks in Wiggins like it when I talk about Stone County. And so, hey, we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to have Will Bednar down here to, uh, to sign autographs today. And, of course, he's a pro now, so it would be a different dynamic. But you understand what I'm saying. You know, we're going to have Mississippi State star pitcher here. We're going to have, uh, you know, Landon Sims down here signing autographs. It's a car dealership. You know, we're having kickoff, grand opening weekend. And Landon Sims, Cam James are going to be here to sign autographs. Well, then, then all of a sudden they can, they're paid for their appearance. Then go down there and shake hands and take pictures and that sort of stuff. And so, wouldn't you bring your kids? Well, of course you would. They can also get involved with camps. They can organize the camps and attach their name to a camp. So now all of a sudden, okay, well, I can pay 50 bucks and have my kids coached by some of the Mississippi State players at a summer camp. They get a picture made with them, get a little T-shirt, come home. That's a good experience, right? Well, then all of a sudden the players can profit from that. Makes perfect sense to me. And so that's the best thing about having these agencies kind of pump up, right? And the fact that there are now professionals involved in this and not necessarily just internet hustlers out here trying to exploit people, I think will drive many of those people kind of out of business. And I, there's a lot of people early on that got involved. Oh, they got this deal and that deal and that deal. And you find out in the end that basically they just got a bunch of merch. And so, yeah, they signed the deal with this particular company. They sent them a bunch of T-shirts, and they expect them to wear the shirt and post it on Instagram or whatever. Well, that's the, that's the extent of their compensation. That's not a good deal for them. It's not a good deal for them at all. Now, I've read with great interest that, uh, you know, TechSags, you know, one of our, um, you know, companies in our industry, you know, paid a couple of guys $10,000 for exclusive interviews. Guys, let me just tell you this. There's not enough clicks that's going to make up for that. That, that is a true exercise in futility. And it'd be one thing, like, say, for an example, when Dak Prescott was here. If jeanspage.com was the only place that you could read or hear an interview with Dak Prescott, then, yeah, that, that would be worth some change to us. If you couldn't hear from Dak in the ledger or you couldn't see him on the SEC network, that would make perfect sense to us. But why would I pay $10,000 and this guy is going to be able to be interviewed on the field? This guy is going to be interviewed by the SEC Network. He's going to do pre-promotional stuff for CBS before those ball games. He'll go to media opportunities. He'll do press conferences. So it waters down the value of my investment if I don't have some exclusivity with that athlete. And so you're not going to see us go out there and make those kinds of deals. We're just not. It's just not a good return on the investment. It looks good in the paper. I mean, so, oh, look at this. Tex Ags did this. Well, then you look kind of silly, you know, when that same kid you signed this $10,000 deal with is uh, interviewing with your competitors. It just seems like you're just throwing money away. 
And people would say, yeah, Steve, but now this name, image, and likeness is basically a way to kind of funnel money from donors to student athletes. And that's true. But it's a legal way to do it. It's not, you're not dropping off a duffel bag of cash. There, there's some give and take in this deal. Yeah, we're going to go pay, you know, $5,000 to this student athlete. And then and in turn, this is what we're going to get. We're going to get this advertising or he's going to do this for us on social media. And that's one of the things, too, that I've heard is that, you know, that the agency itself can ensure compliance and accountability with that aspect of it. Let's say for an example that, you know, let's say Lan and Sam signs a deal with, uh, you know, raising Cane's chicken fingers. Well, then, you know, the agency can ensure that they get a, qual- a professionally quality picture done and then ensure that it gets posted. Maybe there's a, maybe you're going to do, you know, 10 mentions a month or whatever. They can make sure that happens. Because, again, student athletes are really busy. So I like what I've heard, and I think if implemented the right way, this could be a big thing for Mississippi State, especially on the baseball end of things. Now, again, we're going to have marketable athletes in the sports. I think baseball, because of the fact, you know, we get back from Omaha and you see 20,000 people at Dirty Noble Field and you begin to think, you know, that's an opportunity right there for some of those guys who've made some money. I mean, you could have set up all kinds of stuff. You could have sold, you know, just think about this. What What if there was a baseball sold at Dirty Noble Field during a celebration signed by all the players? What's that worth to you? The first ever national championship baseball team. You got a baseball and everybody's signature on it. Is it worth 100 bucks, 200 bucks? How many of those baseballs do you think they could have sold that day at the celebration? Right? 1,000? 2,000? 5,000? 10,000? I think you could. I think, every, I think if you would advertise and said, hey, you know, at part of the celebration, you can buy a once-in-a-lifetime collector's item and have every signature of the Mississippi State National Championship baseball team on a baseball. What's that worth to you? I would, I would have paid a couple hundred bucks for it, and I cover these guys. But to be able to have that on your mantle and be able to come back and say, you know what, yeah, we won an NFL championship, and you tell your grandkids about it, you know what, i got to sign baseball ball to players right here. It's almost priceless. And now name, image, and likeness kind of opens up the possibility, not just for the student athletes to make some money, but, but then use that process to give us perhaps some keepsakes that will sustain us for a lifetime. And I think that's an important aspect of this thing too. You know, now we are the most photographed people in the world, right? I mean, there's, there's always selfies and there's always filming photos on social media. You know, your student athletes are, you know, they're taking pictures with your kids and things like that. And that'll last for a while, too. I mean, it, it means a lot to me. I mean, I go back sometimes and look at those pictures from, you know, Jonathan Holder and you know, Brandon Woodruff, you know, their pictures made with my son, Ian. And you see those guys in the pros, you think, man, there was a time, I don't know if you remember this kid, but you met this guy. Oh, yeah? Yeah, here's your picture. It's great. But there's going to be some monetization with that kind of moving forward. You know, and, and there's a part of me that makes that – it's a little sad, I guess. You know, I don't, I don't know what happens, you know, to uh, you know, to the rest of this thing, you know, to the kids that show up after the ball game. I mean, you know, I'd hate to see that change. But I also know, too, that, uh, you know, why would I give it away for free when, I, when, I, when I'm paying for it? You know, and you could it's – it's part of business. But, uh, you know, we'll see how things progress and um, – 
you know, that's probably the, the dark side of this thing is that a lot of those things that used to be for free are going to have to be paid for. And it's not that you don't, that you wouldn't mind paying for them, but you know, how do you tell some kid, oh, yeah, I can't get uh, this guy's autograph because, you know, you got to pay to do it. You know, I mean, when I was a kid and I was a card collector, like many of you guys were in the late eighties and early nineties, you know, and all of a sudden you find out that uh, one of your favorite players is coming to a card show somewhere and, oh, I'd love to go get my stuff signed. Oh yeah. Well, it's going to be 50 bucks per item. Well, when you're, when you're 15, 13 years old, that seems like a fortune. Well, I got to go cut a few yards around here. I got to go mow some grass. I can go get Pete Rose's autograph because it meant something to you. And so there was that negative aspect of it. And so I hope we don't get to that point. You know, I, I really don't. But I understand that there were probably some of those photo, photography and autograph type opportunities are probably going to be a lot more limited moving forward. You know, what does this do for Fan Day? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair's a longtime friend of mine. I like Blair a lot. He's taller than me, too. There are not a lot of people that are taller than me. He's taller than me. He's a little thinner than me. He works out a lot more than me. He's not as pretty as me, but he is uh, hes a handsome man. Guy does a good job, too. This guy's been in the mortgage industry for 21 years understands the ins and outs of the business and that's who you need you need somebody that knows what to do when things may not be perfect i mean anybody can handle business and you know when, when things are easy but what do you do when maybe perhaps you are uh, a little more of a complicated borrower maybe you got some credit issues maybe you don't know what you qualify for maybe you don't even know how to begin this process that's why it's helpful to have an expert blair chandler is exactly the guy Go to CloseWithBlair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Let him know that you heard about his ad on the Boneyard. Just mention the Boneyard. Say, Blair, love the Boneyard. Blair, thanks for supporting the Boneyard. Blair, I heard it on the Boneyard. You know what he's going to do just by you saying that? He's going to pay for your appraisal. There's so much to buying a house. I mean, there really is. Whether you've refined a house or you bought a house or maybe you're new to the procedure, you understand you need everything, including the pint of blood, the note from your mom, right? Deal with somebody that knows how to help you with that. It's an intimidating process. Deal with an expert. And Blair's not just some guy that's with some fly-by-night, some prowl lender, right? I mean, he's with Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five lending institutions in the country. Blair also in the top 1% nationally in closing loans. This Coffee is for closers, and Blair gets a lot of that coffee. Guy's a closer. Give him a call today. No matter what your situation is, if you want to buy a home, maybe you're not in a position to buy one now, but you want to get there, he can help you with that too. A bulldog through and through. Boneyard listener, top 10 guy too. Loves a top 10. Give Blair a call today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And listen, that's his personal cell number. And because we're all friends, right? So you can text him and say, hey, Blair, I just need some information. He's happy to help you. All right, top 10. And listen, we did DC Talk on Monday, and I was very encouraged by the reaction. I mean, a lot of you guys reached out to me probably and said, Steve, you know, I love DC Talk, man. I wish they would get back together. And, you know, I, who knew we had so many DC Talk fans out there listening to Boneyard? And a lot of people said, you know what, Steve, it's been so long since so I listened to that. I had a listener say, I shared some of these songs with my son yesterday. And that's great, man. That's the best thing about music, man. It's, it's generational, man. It really is. And that's the thing about great songs is that they're still relevant today. And there's some songs you listen to in your youth and you can share them. 
kids be like, you know, this is great. I, matter of fact, the other day, my, my youngest son was uh, running here. He's a cross-country runner. Running on a treadmill, listening to, listening to Fleetwood Mac, Jackson Brown. Had a little, uh, a little Billy Joel in there. You know, I, sometimes I think my kids are older. Maybe it's just the fact that they've uh, kind of grown up listening to good music with their parents. But uh, I feel like I've done it right, you know. Like when one of my kids messaged me and says, Daddy, how come you never told me about the Wu-Tang Clan? These guys are great, you know. Uh, it it kind of makes me proud, you know. But somebody, listen, some of that music is not for delicate ears. That's why I never told you about the Wu-Tang Clan. All right, but today is also not for delicate ears, too. I told, I promised you guys on Friday we would rock today, and we are going to rock today. And this is one of the most influential heavy metal bands of all time. They didn't start out as a real heavy metal band. They kind of started out as a glam metal band. Had three albums, and then they, uh, they hired the singer from a band called Razor White. I've seen Razor White when this guy was the singer. How about that? If I'm not mistaken, I saw him open for Firehouse. That should tell you the genre of music that Phil Anselmo came from. That's right, I'm talking about Pantera. Dimebag Daryl, Vinnie Paul, Rex Brown, Phil Anselmo. Sold over 20 million records. I firmly believe that Dimebag Daryl, formerly known as uh, Diamond Daryl, you know, back in the glam metal days. And, and, and let me share with you too. You can, it's difficult to find those first uh, three glam metal albums. Some of it is on YouTube, so if you just want to get a taste of it, you can still hear you know, how great Daryl and those guys were. You know, the vocals are a little more operatic, you know, kind of, kind of consistent with the time. But it's still worth listening to. I don't know that I would buy it, because it, you know, you got to go spend a fortune to buy it on eBay. But it's worth at least listening to. But they, get, they go out and they hire Phil Anselmo, and uh, you know, they weren't making it as a, as a glam metal band. They just weren't. And if you listen to some of that stuff, you know, vocally, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of average. You know, lyrically, it's, it's just kind of okay. But when they added Phil Anselmo, things began to change. They began to kind of go for a harder edge. And I believe Dimebag Darrell Abbott, God rest his soul, is arguably one of the four or five most influential guitarists of all time. Like when we talk about Chuck Berry and Jimi Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen, you know, I think Don Bagdell is right in that, in that same category. And when you look at innovators and look at what he did, when Vulgar Display of Power came out, it was unlike anything we'd ever heard. It was very, very, very reminiscent of the early days of Van Halen. It's like when, when Eddie hit the scene, everybody was like, what is this? It's like, we feel like we had been cheated. It's like, yeah, I've been listening to all this great guitar all my life, but it really wasn't that great. If this guy can do this, why weren't you doing that? That's kind of how Dime Bagdaryl was. Dime was the guy, man. And then and it changed the direction of metal. Because then all of a sudden, everybody wanted to be, and they, well, they call it groove metal. I don't know. I think Pantera is just one of those teams, excuse me, one of those bands that just kind of, they just kind of transcend the genre, man. They're just in their own lane. You know, kind of like Linkin Park is to me in some respects, or Rage Against the Machine. Like some other people begin to kind of imitate them a little bit. But Dimebag Daryl and those boys were incredible. So it's, uh, I cannot believe we haven't done this one before. And I say it all the time. It's like, oh, man, this has happened, this happened. But when you go back and look and you begin to think about, you know, 
that power metal album, with the first one with Phil Anselmo, they were still kind of figuring some things out. And they were still kind of, well, we want to be heavier, but we're still kind of a glam band or whatever. And so when they got through that power metal album and they released Cowboys from Hell, we knew something had changed. I remember the first time that I heard Cemetery Gates on the radio and I was like, what is this? This is different. That's crazy. Then there's Vulgar Display of Power and Far Beyond Driven, and all of those are just absolutely classic albums. Uh, the Great Southern Trend Kill was a good album, not as good as the predecessors. And then, you know, things really began to, uh, to shake loose. Reinventing the Steel came out, but it was just not even close to what the earlier stuff was. So let's go through this top 10 list, and uh, we'll kind of move forward with this but this is your pantera list and and i love these people that um they think oh well you know since steve listened to motley Crue and in the firehouse and he can talk so intelligently about warrant that he didn't know what real rock is well i submit to you you don't know me because there are a lot of times i'll be riding around the streets of starkville you know i'm listening to bands like asphalt ballet or dad or south gang you don't even know those bands right poser and then I can come back a little bit later and, um, and jam some Pantera or some Damage Plan, some Megadeth, and uh, sing along to every song. All right, so here you go. Here's your top 10 Pantera songs. Number 10 is Hollow. And one of the things that I like about Pantera, too, is there's so many bands kind of from that thrash, fringe, edge, that everything is a million miles an hour. Not with Pantera. Those guys knew how to kind of construct a song and it kind of build, and I think Hollow is a great example of that. Absolutely wonderful. Number nine is Planet Caravan, and the guitar on this, I don't know that this song gets enough credit in the, uh, the dime catalog. I don't think people fully appreciate how technical this one is. Planet Caravan is a great song. Again, it kind of builds and builds and builds, and then next thing you know, you're on the roller coaster. Number eight, a lot of people, there. I've got some friends who this is arguably their favorite Pantera song. It's a little down the list for me. I do like it. I think Phil Anselmo's vocals are very much uh, in your face here. But it's I'm Broken. I'm Broken. Number seven, a song, again, that's I think a little bit underappreciated is Drag the Waters. Love the riff on this. The solo on it is ridiculous. It's uh, it's one of those, I think, from the very beginning, it just kind of pulls you in. That's the thing, too, about listening to Dime. It's like you, you know from the very first couple notes who, you, who's, who you've got on the line here. There's some bands you have to wait for the singer to come along, and, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. No, not, not, not with Pantera. Dime Bag Darrell was the guy. Number six, Mouth for War. And that's where I think Phil Anselmo was the perfect fit for for dime is because i think it gave dime a little more freedom to be as hard as he wanted to be you know i think in the constraints of that glam metal thing they tried to put together initially you know pantera was called pantera i guess they maybe they were eternity before that i think it's right but you know they were trying to make it as a hollywood band and that's just not who they were they found their identity, and I think when, they, when he got Phil, I think Phil kind of pulled a lot of that heavier edge out of Daryl. I think it was always there. I think it's who Daryl wanted to be. 
I think Phil's vocals kind of gave him the palate he needed to expand the repertoire a little bit. Number five, and this is one, this, this is an older song, but it, it wasn't released, I guess, uh, too terribly long ago. It was, maybe it was re-released as a remaster, but it's five minutes alone. And you know what that's about, you know. Got somebody in your life that's just giving you trouble, and it's like, you know, if I could just get five minutes alone with that dude, man, I could, I could, I could give him an attitude adjustment. I could put him on the understand program. Just give me five minutes, five minutes alone. Number four, and they didn't do much in the way of ballads, but uh, this is one that's a little more on the melodic side until Phil starts screaming at you later in the song. But it's this love, and it was a huge hit for them because it was, it was a huge, I guess, departure from what a lot of people knew about them. It was a huge hit for them. You can hear it on the radio all the time, not on the Top 40 radio. Too delicate. All right, so now we're down to the, the final three. And I know right now I'm going to get probably 20 messages from Pantera fans. It said, Steve, I can't believe you didn't include this one. You didn't, you know. And listen, I get it. I don't believe there are any bad Pantera songs. And I'll be honest with you, I think I'm probably the only real Pantera fan in my family. I think it's a little bit too hard for some of them. You know, I think, you know, you go to the, you go to the show or whatever, you're caught up in a moment or whatever, and you're like, oh, man, who is this? Oh, it's Pantera. And then they, oh, okay. Well, you were enjoying it before, you know. It's a different deal. So, but I think, you know, when we get to the final three, I think we can all agree these are the top three, but I know there's going to be people that say, oh, Steve, you missed the boat, you missed this song, and you missed that one. And again, this is my ten, but I think these are our three. And I think some people, I think, are going to say, Steve, you know, hey, you get the, the top three out of order. I just don't think you can go wrong. No matter what order you put these three in, I think you could make a case for all of them. Number three, Cemetery Gates. The solo is absolutely ridiculous. And I love the way the whole thing builds. You know, I love how the opening riff and everything, and then next thing you know, it's like I feel like I'm getting beat up or something. I feel like I'm in a haunted house. It's like you, know, you walk in, you're kind of looking around, and next thing you know, you're running for your life. Cemetery Gates, a classic tune in the rock and metal genre forever. I think this is one of those songs that will live forever. Number two, and if you have been to a Mississippi State football game, in, I don't know, the last 10 years or so, you've heard this song play. We used to play it every time it was a big third down and we needed to get a stop. They played this song. You just didn't know the name of it. And maybe you wondered. Maybe you'll add it to your playlist this weekend as you're headed to, uh, to Davis Wade. But it's Walk. Absolutely love this song. This is we talk about. There are certain songs that you grit your teeth to. This is one of them. And it's again, it's about confrontation and it's about uh, dealing with somebody you know in your life that um, is maybe uh, causing some complications. You know, Phil ends the song with that "Walk on Home, Boy." I love it, man. I can, and this is one of those songs too. Like people put, I've been listening to this on repeat today. Walk is one of those songs I could just keep listening to. It's like if it, if it didn't end, like if they had like a, a two-hour version, I'd just listen to it. I, I mean, it just works. Everything about it works. Again, another classic song. But number one for me, and it's the only Pantera song that I actually, uh, that will be buried with me because I have a CFH tattooed on my left arm. People say, what are you talking about, Steve? It's Cowboys from Hell. It's kind of a secret society. I can't tell you too much. They'll kill me. 
But Cowboys from Hell, I think that is one of those songs, man, that just when you hear that, you know, that little chugging part at the beginning, the next thing you know, the little fill-in parts come in. And then when the bass line hits, it, it was just so different than everything else. I mean, like everybody had this real pronounced bass, but it was just like the rhythm section between Rex and Vinny was just so different. I don't know if it was the mix. I don't know if it was the production value, whatever, but it was unlike anything else I'd ever heard. So Cowboys for Hell, that's number one for me. I know some people would say, Steve, we talk about DC talking God on Monday and Cowboys from Hell on Wednesday. What kind of person are you? Well, I'm, I'm a complicated guy. But there you go. That's my top ten. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Vinny Paul, the drummer, um, passed away last year. And then several years back, we lost Dimebag Daryl. We nearly lost Rex Brown, too. And uh, so when Phil had his heroin addiction issues and Phil's had Phil is a complicated guy too. He's got a band out called down right now, but Phil's a guy that's really struggled to get it together, man. And, uh, you know, in many respects, Phil ruined Pantera. And, um, and so Vinny and Dime put together a side project, a band called damage plan that is really, really cool. And so when they were with damage plan, this crazed guy jumped up on stage and, and shot and killed Dimebag Daryl. It was just ridiculous. And then uh, Rex Brown, as little as he is, goes and gets the guy and is just like holding him down and taking shot after shot after shot, trying to save his friends. There is a, there's a documentary out there. It's probably on YouTube too, you know, about when Dime got, got killed. And uh, every year they do the March of Dimes and they raise money. Uh, every single year for charitable causes and all these people go and ride their motorcycles and uh, out in Dallas, uh, you know, Vinny and Daryl from uh, Arlington, Texas, if memory serves me correct. And so the Pantera story is a very sad one, but man, they gave us some great music to listen to. And it's a shame that they couldn't get uh, things resolved. I know after Dime died, uh, Phil wanted to come to the funeral and, and they wouldn't let him come. And, um, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. Again, I don't know all the history. I don't know the things that were said, you know, behind the scenes. And I know even after that, when uh, when Vinny was playing the drums for the band called Hell Yeah, you may be familiar with them. I like those guys too. Uh, but Vinny was playing with Hell Yeah, and uh, Phil had said, hey, maybe let's do, let's do a tribute to Dime or whatever. And a lot of people just thought Phil was trying to do it for the money. And so it never came to fruition, and then Vinny himself died. And so now the chances of a reunion are, are basically completely removed. And so I hate that. I've got some friends. I, you know, I was in a short-lived rock band in Hattiesburg for a while. And um, our rhythm guitar player was a guy named Eric Carter. And he may be the biggest Pantera fan that I knew at the time. And uh, I had a bass player named Billy Davis. And, uh, and we thought we had a good little thing going, man. We were looking forward to playing at Tal's Dart Bar. I think Tal had changed it to the uh, Musical Emporium, and we used to call it the Musical Aquarium because if you've been to Tal's Dart Bar, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was nothing. The name didn't match the joint, man. Tal's Dart Bar was perfect for that little dive bar. I love going in there. saw a lot of great bands there, a lot of up-and-coming acts, and we were so excited. Hey, let's just go be support at Tal's Dart Bar for somebody. And then somebody broke in and stole our gear. We had a rehearsal hall, and all our stuff got stolen. And, you know, I got to thinking about that. It's like um, – you know, the very first time that uh, when I was with Cervello and then we started another another 
little band on the side, I ended up getting arrested and going to uh, to rehab. <clears throat> and so then the next time after I got clean and sober for a while, I said, okay, well, let's put a rock band together and go have some fun. And then all of our gear got stolen. I thought, you know, maybe this just isn't for me. You know, maybe maybe the maybe the good Lord's trying to tell me something. So I got out of it. So that's no longer part of my life. I just enjoy going and watching music and having a good time and and uh, playing it incredibly too loud in my car. And Pantera gets played regularly. And, I, and usually I'm riding by myself because other people are like, "Will we turn it off?" No, I won't. No, I won't turn it off. All right, that's it for the top ten list. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out. Let me know. Got a lot of things on the list. Uh, people reach out, and, and Roy says, you know, Steve, you're a lot more diverse than me. And I say, Roy, don't beat yourself up, man. Not many people are. Not many people are as diverse as I am. I love all music. I'm not a big country guy, but I tell you, I, I have, uh, I've listened and I can appreciate people that can take their heart and put it to song and make the world feel something. So I think that's an important part of it. So I respect it. Even if I don't like their style, I respect it. All forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Send me your suggestions. I just might use them. So there you go. There's your Pantera list. And in case you're wondering, what does Pantera mean? It's Spanish for panther or leopard. Pantera. It's a cool name. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. Campus Bookmart, great friends. Basically a great extension of the Mississippi State family. Stand the man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. You know, she's married to a drummer, too, just so you guys know. That's what happens. That's what happens. There's guys that can play music. They get lovely and talented women. That's how it works. So go by and see them, and you can see Susie in all her radiant glory. But also, too, go by and uh, let the people in the basement know you love them, right? You can outfit your family in brand-new Mississippi State merchandise right there at Campus Bookmart. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. It's still funny to me that people, they put in the BSR code and it pops up and it says Beautiful Steve Robertson and they laugh because they think I'm joking. That is what the code stands for. It used to stand for Bulldog Sports Radio. And then when Bulldog Sports Radio didn't exist, I said, well, I don't want to complicate things. I don't want to make our listeners have to use a new promo code. Let's just stick with what we have. And so even before Bulldog Sports Radio went away, I was kind of joking around with, hey, Dad, you know, I used to go record at Brian's house, and I would always say, beautiful Steve Robertson. And it was just a throwaway line, and then it became like an inside joke between he and I. And now it's, now it's a real thing. So go check them out again, campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Auburn today. We all, we're not going to do Tennessee State, okay? I, I told you guys are going to preview everybody. I'm not going to do Tennessee State. I mean, it's an FCS game. So we'll do Auburn today, Ole Miss on Friday. And then we'll be done previewing our opponents. And then Friday we'll talk a little bit about what to expect this weekend. And there, listen, there's football tonight too. Don't forget UAB Jacksonville State tonight, a Wednesday night game. Right, that Right? What Alabama's to Pine State, right? Little, little Pine State rivalry there. How cool would that be? I, I'm just happy to see some football. Okay, so, you know, Auburn, the expectations for Auburn this year, not necessarily robust, shall we say. You know, they're good, not great. A lot of people think they'll be middle of the pack in the SEC West. I think that's probably accurate. 
you know, Auburn, you know, it's, it's crazy to look at Auburn last year. And I remember they came up here and they danced after the ball game. And it's like, as much as I want to be mad about that, it's like, well, we should have just won the ball game, right? We should have just won the ball game. And listen, the game last year, we were in the game. I won't say that we gave them the game because we didn't. We didn't make enough plays to win it. But Auburn was really struggling at the time, and we had a chance to win the ball game and uh, just didn't capitalize on it. And then they danced, and that was the viral video. And then, and then um, Gus got fired, like the next day. And then, so then that dancing video made the rounds again. It's just kind of crazy to think about. It. You know, it's like that was a 24-10 ball game. If you recall, that's the one where you know Emerson, Martin Emerson's up there, kind of jawing with a receiver, and it's supposed to be in off coverage, ends up in press. And next thing you know, they hit a fade and put the game away. We had a chance to make a play there. We didn't. We live and learn, though. That was the last regular season game of the year for us. Remember, because it got rescheduled. So, looking back last year at Auburn, they went 6-5. and five. They beat Kentucky. They lose at Georgia. They beat Arkansas. Remember, that was a controversial finish, right? They lose at South Carolina, and then they beat Ole Miss. And, uh, listen, as much as I despise Ole Miss, Ole Miss got shafted in that ball game. Remember that? Remember the kickoff and the guy touches it? And it goes into the end zone, and Ole Miss recovers it, and they ruled it a touchback, saying that he didn't touch it. And he did. The replay showed that he did. He barely grazed it with his finger, but the ball did change direction. Ole Miss got hosed in it. At the end of the day, too, if it's going to happen to somebody, I'm glad it was them. And then they absolutely destroyed LSU. That was the really that was a huge surprise, too. I mean, yeah, LSU hadn't been great, but you know, Auburn hadn't been either. And they absolutely annihilated. LSU, 48 to 11. They come back and beat Tennessee, 30 to 17 there at Auburn. Of course, Tennessee was beginning to kind of flounder. And I think we all, in hindsight, we probably realized that they were having some issues behind the scenes that might have caused a little bit of a distraction. Then they get hammered by Alabama there in uh, Tuscaloosa, 42 13. They lose to AM, 31 20. And so they have come in, you know, losers of two in a row. And then they beat us at our place, 24 10. Then they lose the. Citrus Bowl, 35-19 to Northwestern. So finished the year 6-5, and five, and they fire Gus. It's so funny, too. That, I mean, this time last year, I think we were all kind of thinking, hey, nobody's going to get fired in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, right, that's what it'd be, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't work, right? There's no way that's going to happen. And what, what do we have, man? What, four or five coaching changes in the SEC? It's incredible to think about that in hindsight. You know, of course, Derek Mason, right? Will Muschamp, um, Jeremy Pruitt, Malzahn. You know, it's and, – and those are not necessarily, uh, you know, middle-of-the-road jobs nationally. They may be middle-of-the-road in the SEC, but Auburn is a good job. It's a tough job because you're going up against, uh, you know, arguably the greatest college football coach in the history of the game during his heyday in your home state. So it's difficult to get, you know, some of those kids. You know, the branding is, doesn't work. I mean, not to mention, just think about, you know, Auburn's played, what, a couple of NAFL championship games, you know, in the last several years. And it's overshadowed. I mean, if, if, in hindsight, like, if you didn't have Alabama to contend, we'd think, man, Auburn had a great run. By comparison, no, not at all. I can't even begin to imagine having to live in a state like that. One thing that I've, in, I've noticed, too, about Auburn, you know, they're a lot like us. I know some of our fans don't like it when I say that, but it's true. 
they're a lot like us. Their value system is very similar. A lot of you guys are still bitter over to Cam Newton stuff, and I get it. But it's interesting. Like when you go over there, everybody at Auburn is really excited to see you. You know, they recognize that you're a guest. I always have a good time over there. The thing that I've learned, too, though, where I think State and Auburn are very similar, is that people that go to Auburn continue to have a connection with Auburn. Like, you go to Auburn because you loved Auburn. There are a lot of people that go to Alabama because they want to watch a football game, right? So they pick Alabama. They may not even have an emotional connection to Alabama. There is a fan. And I can't blame them. Hey, if you're, you you got a chance to go, go to school with all things being equal, I, I, I got a chance to be a part of a NAFL championship as a student. Yeah, sure, right? You don't think our students are still enjoying being, being knowing that they're going to live their lives that when they were in school at Mississippi State, we won the first team NAFL championship ever in school history. It's incredible. But Auburn doesn't get a lot of uh, T-shirt alums like Alabama does. You know, and if you look at the Ole Miss-Mississippi State recruiting, Ole Miss you know, works really hard out of state. Not to say that we don't, but you can tell that they like to be able to kind of sell the, you know, the old, uh, you know, the old, uh, old South type deal. Oh, we're this and we're that. I don't know why they don't put on those hoop dresses and just go, you know. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people in the state of Mississippi that, you know, that go to Mississippi State because they feel like Mississippi State is just more of who they are. And so I think State and Auburn fans both, we feel a real connection to State and Auburn. You know, it's part of who we are. It's not just, you know, where people went to school. It's, it's who we are. And so I think that's a little bit different. That's not to say that there's not some, uh, you know, some, some true fans at Ole Miss or Alabama. I'm, I'm just saying there are a lot of those people that just go to school there and then they move on. I, I know a lot of people that I've met in the literary community, like, oh, you're an Ole Miss guy. No, I went to school there, you know. I never really go back. I went to school there. Not everybody's like that. I'm not, not, not trying to paint everybody with the same brush. But, but anyway, let's talk Auburn football. Um, interesting year in store, I think. You know, we always talk about quarterback play. And I think, you know, Auburn's a team that has uh, you know, has has a decent quarterback. I know other people are like, oh, decision-making's awful. And yeah, that's probably true, too. And, uh, you know, I think he actually probably fits Harson's offense a little bit better than maybe he did Gus. I think Gus wanted him to be – Gus didn't really want him a whole lot. They didn't do a lot of design quarterback runs. He's just not – I don't think he's quite the same – you know, durable kid that maybe perhaps uh, some other Auburn quarterbacks have been. So, you know, what kind of years is he going to have? I don't know. But I do think he's a better fit offensively. I do think they will run him a little bit more, which will probably lead to a little more wear and tear. So, again, they're going to have to make some things happen with him. Uh, I think he has to be a key component, not just because he's a quarterback, but I think he's got to be an extension of the running game. I think that's a big part of things, for sure. All right, so offensive line has a chance to be really good. They have a chance, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're going to they're gonna return all five of their starters. I like the running back room. Tank Bigsby was a guy that gave us a lot of trouble last year. He runs really hard. He's a guy that can run through tackles. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't get him squared up before his feet get going, it's going to be a tough day. Got really runs hard, kind of reminiscent of those, you know, Pat Dye running backs in many respects. I mean, just a guy that can kind of get downhill on you and just wear on you over the course of a game. Just grind it out, grind it out, grind it out. You miss a tackle. Next thing you know, it's a 50-yard gain. So, 
you know, we, people talked about T.J. Finley transferring to Auburn. Let me say this for the record. I think T.J. Finley throws one of the prettiest footballs that I've ever seen. Physically, he has all the tools. There's no question about it. But he did some things at LSU last year that, um, you know, really showed that he was a freshman. So I don't think that he is going to be a guy that can kind of unseat Knicks this year. I think probably this whole offense with Auburn, because of the, the running aspect of it, I think it fits Finley better than what LSU had him doing. You know, LSU wanted to kind of, you know, basically – do the RPO stuff. I, th- I think Finley's a guy that needs to have some design runs to kind of get him going. I think he's actually going to prove to be a better fit at Auburn. I just don't think this is the year. I don't. And we'll see. But the guy, I tell you this, when, they, when he, when he re- lets it go, that thing gets through the air. I mean, he absolutely can whistle the ball down the field. So, wide receivers last year, great. Not a lot this year. They're going to kind of have to figure that out. So they're kind of a work in progress. By the time we see them, they'll have it all kind of handled. You know, you kind of know who they are and what they've kind of got going. But uh, they lose a lot last year. And that's what makes – I think that's one of the – probably the angst by many Auburn fans last year is that, you know, you had all this great skill and you couldn't put points on the board and you couldn't have a winning season. So uh, defensively, Auburn not good last year. A lot of people put up big numbers against them. They were awful on third down, no question about it. Um, you know, pass rush was pretty good against us. But I think that was more of a byproduct of the fact that we had an offensive line in transition dealing with COVID. I don't think it's really, you know, a product of Auburn just having monsters up front. I think we just we, – we couldn't block anybody at times last year. So, Auburn's going to be good in the secondary – they also have um, a couple of good backers will be back. Uh, Jacoby McLean is a guy that a lot of people are expecting big numbers from this year, potentially could play his way into some all-SEC. And, and the production of this defense could really depend on these linebackers for sure. Uh, Drashawn Miller, you remember him? We recruited him. Thought we had a good shot to get him out of transfer portal out of West Virginia. He ends up going to Auburn. We're going to see him. I don't know where he is on a depth chart, but I'm sure he's a two-deeper. Roger McCreary is a guy that's going to be really good, too. See how things progress with that group. But, they, you know, listen, they're expected to be really good on the back. Um, let's see. They have a transfer from uh, Tony Fair, going to come in and be an interior guy. I don't know how much that impacts a team like us, though. I don't, I don't, there's not We don't really line up and run up the middle a whole lot, as you guys are well aware. But um, – it's going to be a different deal for sure. You know, Big Cat transferred out of there, South Central Florida, and had some negative things to say about Auburn too after he left. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, you know, I think, you know, don't go away mad, just go away. Derek Hall, former uh, Gulfport Admiral and Mississippi State lean. I would still, you know, we talk about doing investigative journalism. I'd love to know what really happened in that deal. I mean, like, I've heard the rumors, but I really want to, I'd really love to know the, the true story. And maybe, maybe I'll get it one day, maybe I won't, but maybe 20 years down the line. But I'd really love to know what happened with Derek Hall. All right, and so he's the guy, too, that'll be um, kind of coming into his own, you know, this year. And so let's look at the Auburn schedule. And it, this is one of those things, too. You look at Auburn and you begin, okay, what kind of year should they have? Man, who really knows? 
I mean, there's just so many unknowns with this team. But I think there's enough skill, and there's, they're going to have the ability to run the football, and I think they'll have the ability to stop the run. And when you can do those two things, you generally win a lot of football games. So they open up with the Zips of Akron. Mike Nemeth will be happy. He's an Ohio boy himself. Then they get Alabama State, and then they travel to Penn State. So I'm going to give Penn State the nod there. That's going to, they're going to be 2-1 and one after that trip. Have you ever been up there? I mean, like, I mean, to been to a ball game at Penn State? I mean, I, I would love one day to go up there. You know, there's a lot of bucket list things, you know, you want to do in life. I, w- I want to see Ohio State, Michigan, and I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's in Ann Arbor or Columbus. I want, I want to go see that game one day, and I want to go to see a Penn State game too. I just do. I think it would be great. I'd like to go out and see USC play in the Coliseum. I think it would be a lot of fun. All right, so then they get Georgia State the next week. That's a W. It should be, anyway. Three and one, and then they head down to Death Valley. That's going to kind of be a separation Saturday within the league. You know, we're going to kind of find out who's real and who's not. You know, the good thing is, I guess, if you're LSU, is you get this game at home, and there's the revenge factor. And, listen, Auburn kind of felt their oats a little bit last year, too, when they were running the score up. And, listen, hey, that's kind of how it is in this league. And you get a chance to hammer somebody, you better do it because, you know, it's not your, your sustained success is not going to last forever unless you're Alabama. Then they get Georgia. And then they go to Arkansas. That's a tough stretch that will define their season. We talk about the month of October being difficult for Mississippi State, probably even more difficult for Auburn. At LSU, home against Georgia, and then at Arkansas. I think they go 2-1 and one there. Right? So what makes them five and three, you know, with four to play? Is that right? Yeah. Five and three, maybe not. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, four and three. Excuse me. Four and three. Um, with five to play. They have the open date just before they host Ole Miss. You know, I, I just don't you know anybody that looks at matchups can kind of see this one. The, this is gonna boil down to can Auburn get just enough stops to slow the Ole Miss offense down? Because Ole Miss is going to be a score this year. But with this Auburn running game, they can shorten the game on Ole Miss. They just need to get a stop or two. And they're at home. Ole Miss hadn't proven to be a really good road team the last few years. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to pick Auburn to win the game. How about that? Auburn at home, Tank Bigsby goes for 250 and is your SEC player of the week. How about that? Then they travel to A&M the next week. And, again, I think Auburn benefits from that open date prior to the Ole Miss game. They travel to A&M. I like A&M in the game. They come here. You know, it's tough for me right now. Excuse me. We go there. Excuse me. It's tough for me to pick us to win out there right now. I mean, I know some of our fans are thinking, hey, we got a chance. And, listen, it is really a toss-up. But I just favor them because they're at home. Then they go to South Carolina. That's going to toss up, but I, you know, I kind of like them because I think South Carolina is still going to be a mess, and then they lose to Alabama. You know, and so I think you look at this thing, <coughs> pardon me, I think it's a 7-5 and five type year, maybe 8-4. and four. We'll see how things progress. But, uh, you know, I think Auburn is going to be a decent team. I don't think they're going to be a great team. I think they're prob- they'll probably, probably drop a game they shouldn't. Whether that be to us or to Ole Miss or Arkansas, I don't know. But they'll, they'll probably lose one they shouldn't because, again, it's a new scheme. But, 
you know, they don't have a lot of game breakers at wide receiver. But I, I think this – at the end of the day, they're going to be kind of similar to what we did under Mullen. They're going to be some quarterback run stuff. They're going to run some counters. They're going to run some traps. They're going to get out there and make you defend the expanses of the field. Because Dan liked to spread you out to run the football. And I think Auburn has the personnel to do that this year. And, again, Bo Nix is an incredible athlete. How many times did you see him get flushed in the pocket last year and be able to evade pressure and extend plays and make something happen, even if it's, you know, goes to quarterback run? And so I think they can – I think Harson and those guys will kind of harness that and make him more of a component in the running game. So, again, I think they'll be a good team. I think they'll be fun to watch. I think defensively they got a chance to be really good. And, again, kind of going back to that Ole Miss game too, you know, the Auburn secondary is kind of sneaky good. They're going to be a good group, and I think that they're going to be able to defend the forward pass. And so if they can generate a little pass rush, you know, I think they could be a team that could really challenge uh, teams like us and Ole Miss that want to get vertical when we can. So football's about matchups, and it really is. And if you can run the football and you play an Ole Miss, then that's what you need to do. All right, time for the last segment of the show, brought to you by Portico. You guys have been big fans of this segment, man. I've had a lot of people reach out and suggest, hey, could you do this person or that person? I'm going to do my best to get to that stuff. I'm just kind of doing it as I find it. You know, there are things that kind of come along, and I'll look, and I'll say, I never really knew much about this guy. And we talk about this guy. And so I'll do some research, and i share it with you guys, and and um, happy to do it. But Portico – I was by there today on my way back into town. I've been up and moving. You know, I told you guys to go to the hospital. But uh, And so it's so easy to get to. That's the thing that is, is remarkable to me. I think, man, I would be home like by now. I live out here in the sticks. When you take that turn on the 12 off of 82, boom. You take that turn on Pat Station Road, you're there. It's easy to find. And it's so close to campus. And, again, I'm always amazed at how that side of town isn't really built up. You know what I'm saying? Like that side between 82 and campus. You know, we got the neighborhood market out there, and we got a couple of hotels, but that's kind of it. And I'm kind of glad it is that way. Well, take advantage of that. Move to Portico. Whether it be your, your primary residence or maybe you're just looking for, you know, a ball game getaway weekend type deal, you can find it at Portico. Maybe it's an investment property. Maybe you Airbnb it out when you're not using it. Brand new construction, the newest construction, the, the best place to live in Starkville. You can get up a two-bedroom, two-bath house, four-bedroom, four-bath house. You'll have a great time. 1.1 miles from campus, easy access to 25 and 82. What could be better? The best part of it is, is that a lot of people involved in this process, Bulldogs, you know, I'm a big fan of that. I want to do business with Bulldogs whenever I can. There's not, there's probably not a bigger Bulldog fan than Brooks Bryan. Um, and there's a lot of people I say love Mississippi State as much as I do. He's one of them. Brooks wore the maroon and white and M over S. Helped us get to Omaha. How about that? Twice. Give Brooks a call for more information about Portico. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks is committed to this, big part of this, man. And, again, I'm, there, I, there's just a comfort level doing business with other Bulldog fans for me. I just feel like, you know what, all things being equal, I'd rather do business with Bulldogs. That's exactly what Brooks is and all the people around him. Give Portico an opportunity to help you. Make Portico your next move. All right, today's Mississippi State legend we're going to talk about is a guy that I got to talk to on the phone a couple years ago. It's Harper Davis. 
He's got a whole chapter dedicated to him in the book Alpha Dogs. It was my honor to speak to Coach Davis, and I'll tell you, it was interesting, kind of how it all came to be, is I called him last spring, you know, and I was getting ready to write the book, and I was like, Coach, I'd, I'd love to be able to interview you and talk about your time at Mississippi State. And he said, you know what, Steve, I'd love to talk to you, but uh, I'm leaving town. It was right at the beginning of the quarantine when things were really starting to get a little bit out of hand. And so his son was moving him to Alabama temporarily, just to kind of make sure Coach Davis, because he was up in age, didn't kind of get out and get exposed. And so Brad Jones, former Mississippi State first baseman Brad Jones, is actually the grandson of Art Davis, Harper's brother. Both of them had fantastic careers at Mississippi State, went on to play pro ball. But Harper played for Coach Alan McKean, and so I wanted to learn a little more about Coach McKean and kind of how it all kind of came unraveled for him. And I got a great story from Harper Davis that uh, I want to share with you guys today. And part of this is in the book at Alpha Dogs. And if you're looking for that, you can go find it. You can find it at alphadogsthebook.com. But Coach Davis told me, you know, he was, uh, he was, he was fighting in the war, and, um, and then the war ended. And so the NCAA basically allowed veterans to go play college football, and they still had eligibility. So, like, their clock was arrested. You know, like the, the NCAA eligibility clock is, you know, it's, now it's five, it's, four, it's five years to play four. You know, back then it was, uh, I guess, four to play three because you could only play three years of varsity athletics. And so uh, Coach Davis was uh, out in – Texas at Corpus Christi at a uh, I guess it's an air base out there and he had played some military football matter of fact his his coach there was Johnny Vaught how crazy is that his football coach military football was future Ole Miss legendary coach Johnny Vaught and so Alan McKean was recruiting him Ole Miss was recruiting him and he's you know he he was a guy too that uh you know was a Mississippi guy and there was no decision to make between State and Ole Miss. And the reason why is because when he was – when Clarksdale High School played West Point, they came up and played West Point in the game, and, and they made it such a big deal, they spent the night and went to a Mississippi State football game the next day. And Blondie Black was the Mississippi State running back at the time, and Blondie Black just ran roughshod over whoever they were playing. And he said from that point forward that Blondie Black became kind of a hero to him. He kind of looked up to him. He goes, you know what, if I ever get a chance to go play at the same school that Blondie Black did, I'm going. If I ever get a chance to go to Mississippi State, I'm going to do it. And so McKean and them are on the phone with him, and they're kind of trying to talk him into coming. He's okay, Coach, I'm signing. Yeah, but y'all got to come get me. And so they sent an assistant coach down there to go get Harper Davis. And Harper said he thinks they drove all night you know, to get back. You know, it wasn't, it, we didn't have this great interstate structure we have today. You can imagine how long a drive it is from Corpus Christi to Starkville, Mississippi, with the two-lane highways and all that stuff we had back in those days. And so on the way back to Starkville, Coach Davis memorized the playbook. And so they get there on a Thursday, and he said he goes through the walkthrough with the team. That's the only practice that he had. And so they get on the bus Friday, they head over to Auburn. They put him in a ball game on Saturday. And he goes and scores a touchdown. They put him back in the ball game, he scores again. We win the game 20 to nothing. 
And I joked in the book that, you know, he went from defeating the, defeating the Nazis to defeating the Tigers in a week's time. It's a remarkable story. Harper Davis met his wife at Mississippi State. Matter of fact, all of his wives' sisters, all married Mississippi State men. Shows they had a really good taste. Coach Davis, of course, uh, went into coaching after that. Had a tremendous career. It's been a couple of years in the pros. Uh, with uh, went, went to the L.A. Dons first, into the Green Bay, the, the Chicago Bears, and then the Green Bay Packers, and then he you know, came home and and uh, you know began to start a family. Coached at West Point High School for a couple of years, and then Columbus Lee High School. Then he was an assistant coach at Mississippi State from 1956 to 1963. 1964, he took the head coaching job at Millsap. He, he took a job at yeah head coaching job at Millsaps and then stayed there until 1988. He built that program, retired, and then got coaxed out of retirement and then was an assistant coach at JA from 1990 to 2006. As a head coach, he posted a record of 136, 81, and 4. He's a great man. And sadly, we lost him this past year shortly after his brother art died i had somebody reach out excuse me harper died first and somebody said steve if you want to interview art you need to do it quick and it was just a few weeks later that art had died we lost harper davis december 26 2020 at age 95 he shared with me some very special things about coach alan mckinney talked about what a gentleman he was but he wasn't necessarily a player's coach he was very disciplined but he wasn't a guy that would go out there and be the real rah-rah guy. But he wanted the guys to do well. Not just in football, but in life. And he shared that Alan McKean was a guy, too, that you know, really taught him a lot about the game, taught him the game of football. He'd gotten by on athleticism. He gets to Mississippi State after fighting in World War II and becomes uh, you know, part of a very a great run at Mississippi State. You know, you, we, we talk about you know, the great years of Mississippi State football. We talk about Alan McKean. And a lot of that, too, McKean came kind of a, a victim of his own success you know, because we had won so much, but we hadn't been able to get to bowl games. And there were a couple things, too. Politically back then, Mississippi State did not have the clout that they do today. You know, one of the things back in those days – is that you know, when Ole Miss was in contention for a bowl game, you know, the state legislature would basically guarantee they would sell their allotment of tickets. Mississippi State was not granted the same privilege. And so Mississippi State also kind of had the reputation of not traveling well. So there were, you know, bowls are about money. And back those days, the only way you generated money is that the limited few were able to get on TV, but they were also, you know, you had to sell tickets. And so if you couldn't, if you couldn't drive tickets, you didn't get picked for a bowl game. And so sometimes, you know, teams like Alabama or Georgia, even though they'd have a lesser record, would go to a bowl game over Mississippi State because they had a bigger ticket draw at the window. And so when Harper was here, you know, Mississippi State had a really good run, as, as you guys are well aware. If you, if you know anything about Mississippi State football, you know, he was here from 45 to 48. Well, 1945, we go six and three. In 46, we go eight and two. And that was a team that a lot of people expected to win the SEC that year. That was a team a lot of people thought, okay, this, we got everybody back. We got, you know, we got a lot of our, our veterans here. And that's probably one of the biggest differences between State and Ole Miss during that stretch that really is the difference in the rivalry as far as the all-time record go, is that Ole Miss did a great job 
of recruiting the veterans, McKean was kind of against it. You know, he would go get some guys that maybe had some connections or some ties, but he wasn't all out. And so Ole Miss was. Ole Miss did a better job than Mississippi State did of recruiting those veterans. And so as a result, you you had grown men, kind of war-hardened veterans out there, you know, playing in these games against, you know, kids. And it made a difference. 1946 Bulldog team, again, an outstanding team. We, we, we win the first game against UT Chat 41-7. We lose at LSU 13-6. And then we put together a nice run here. We knock off Michigan State at Michigan State. And that ball game, contrary to popular beliefs, that ball game at, East, at Michigan at East Lansing, that's the first time that Mississippi State played against an African-American player. Did some extensive research, and I wrote the Game of Change chapter in Alpha Dogs. And there was a linebacker at Michigan State that was an African-American, and they supposedly had this gentleman's agreement that he wasn't going to play. And then the first team linebacker got hurt, and so they were going to have to play him. And there was talk about even canceling the game. And Eagle Motlich, Mississippi State legend Eagle Motlich, stood up in the locker room and said, let the guy play. And they go and play the ball game, and Mississippi State wins. So that's the first time, again, at Mississippi State, played against an African-American athlete. And it's really a shame that we have to mark those occasions, but it wasn't the game of change. It was a 1946 game at Michigan State. We come back and we beat uh, San, San Francisco and Memphis. It's a neutral site game, 48-20. And then we knocked off Tulane at their place, 14-7. Big crowd down there, too. 45,000, that's huge numbers for the 40s. We get Murray State at home. We drill them 69 to nothing. We get Auburn at Legion Field 33 nothing. Northwestern State 27 nothing there at Scott Field. And then we win the Egg Bowl 20 to 0. The 1946 win was the last one for Mississippi State until we played. I guess that's not correct. Let me think here for a second. Let me think here just for one second. I don't think that's. I think my memory. We didn't win a game from 47 to 1963. I think that's correct. Yeah, because that was the arrival of Johnny Vaught at Ole Miss. And so, yeah, we win that 46 Egg Bowl uh, with Eagle Motlich and those guys kind of running the show. And then we don't win it again until 1964. We tied it a couple times. We go 0-16-3 from 1947 uh, to 1963. And so that was, again, part of the deal, too, is you had some well-heeled boosters, a guy by the name of Bob Sanders that kind of led the charge there. And uh, he was a guy that was, you know, Believed he was doing the right things and kind of led the, uh, the, the move to get McKean out of there. And Harper said that McKean never really talked about it. You know, he never really let people know that he felt under pressure, that he shielded the team from all of that, as he should have. But Harper Davis, a Mississippi State legend, and also a guy that's a Mississippi legend, not just as a player but as a coach and as a man. We spoke at length, and it is one of those conversations that I will treasure forever, especially now that he's gone. And to be honest with you, when I reached out, I had somebody else share his number with me, and I didn't even realize Coach Davis was still alive. And I felt almost ashamed for not knowing that. But when I got him on the phone, he would have talked all day. He was just so grateful to be remembered as a player. And he loved talking about those times playing at Mississippi State. And um, even at the very end. You know, he wanted to talk, hey, how are we going to be this year? What do you think? And, you know, what's going to happen with this guy or that guy? But we got uh, we got a good time together. 
And so, again, I bring these stories up to kind of share with you that I don't need these memories to be lost. You know, I, I don't know how long I have, and so I want to document as much as I can. And I feel that we have a debt of gratitude owed to these players that came through and were such a big part of our athletics history. So I enjoyed doing this segment, and I hope that you guys continue to enjoy it as well. But Harper Davis was the absolute truth at Mississippi State. He's part of one of the best backfields that probably ever worn in maroon and white. So Harper Davis, God rest your soul, and thank you for your contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, Dogpile, uh, again, pre-order link. The, the, the guide's working on it. They'll have it to me soon. You know, there's always something going on with all that stuff, but we'll have it to you. But, again, uh, the final read's been done. I've been able to get a few blurbs for the back jacket of the book, and so everything is kind of heading off the layout now. There's no more writing to do. There's more editing to do. There's none of that. All that's done. Uh, now it'll be laid out and then pushed off to print, and we'll be ready to go. And uh, I'm excited. I know you guys are, too. I get multiple messages every day from people wanting to know how they can order. I will share it on the show and on all forms of social media just as soon as I have it. Because the sooner you guys can order, the sooner that they can get the, uh, you know, the print order together and all that kind of stuff. And so there's just a lot to this. So we want to make sure you have it. Listen, thanks so much for your support of the Boneyard all these many years. Look forward to being back with you guys on Friday as we preview the first full weekend of college football. Until the end, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.